Well, one more thing I want to remind you of, that is this evening at 5 o'clock, we'll be having a special service of prayer and communion. We'll sing some uh, Christmas carols, spend some time praying, reading scripture, sharing the Lord's Supper together. I uh, hope you'll plan to be here at 5 o'clock for that. Well, I, I appear a little rattled this morning, and it's residual, and it began last Sunday. Uh, all of you know I had have or had, as it turns out, a grandson due December 15th. At quarter of nine last Sunday, I get a text. It's happening. So if I seemed rattled last week, and still just a bit, it's because my grandson was born last Sunday. And the best part of the worst part, or best part, I'm not sure which, was, <laughs> yes, thank you, was the restraint I had to show in not announcing that last Sunday because I had five other families and I didn't want to draw attention from those little tykes last week that we were celebrating. So, because that was super important, right? And uh, so we got to go down for Thanksgiving. I got to hold and snuggle my new little guy. And uh, so we were super excited. And of course, I have plenty of pictures if you really want to see them. And no, I have not put any up here yet. Um, uh, his name is Parker. So there you go. Um, we also need to let you know our straw poll is in and done. Uh, you all have been very kind in being willing to be flexible, and the numbers are about even. So I've talked with Pastor Sean and Pastor Andrew, and beginning January 5, first Sunday of the new year, our service times will be 9 o'clock and 10.30, okay? So this one will be well over by this time on January 5th, or pretty close, all right? 9 o'clock and 10.30. We're going to announce that all month long. You'll see it in print. We're going to make sure you have plenty of time. We'll change the sign on the window out here and the sign out front so everybody will know, but 9 o'clock and 10.30 will be our new service times beginning January 5, okay? And until we get into our new building. So Let's keep that in mind. All right, what's the best part of Christmas? There, there's so much about Christmas to enjoy. Uh, there's, there's time with our families. There are special light displays. We, we walked through a light display. My sister was up all of last week, and we, she and I walked through uh, one of the light displays locally, and it was really fun and very pretty. Uh, maybe you're a peppermint mocha fan, and... Uh, enjoying that. Maybe you love sitting by the fire. Maybe you like Christmas movies, you know, The Grinch and, and uh, Rudolph. And of course, my favorite, and I think I share this with Pastor Sean, um, Die Hard. Uh, for some, I know, ho, ho, ho. Now I have a machine gun. I found a t-shirt with that on it. I told my wife, I want that t-shirt for Christmas. Um, for some... And maybe many of us, music is the best part of Christmas, right? I mean, some of you, some of you speaking of diehards, have been playing Christmas music for three weeks already. You've been working it over, letting it happen. I mean, it's been flowing through the house. I kind of have a, I, I'm really kind of annoying about that in our household. I don't, I'm like, I don't like decorations up before Thanksgiving. I don't like Christmas music playing before Thanksgiving. Let's do Thanksgiving. But of course, now we got home. Friday, yesterday, the house got decorated. That's all done. Um, Christmas music is amazing, though, right? We love the Christmas carols. It, they're so full and, and rich. We're going to be singing them, of course, through the month of December. And I think the difficulty with songs like our Christmas carols that we know so well, and maybe some of the songs that we sing normally, is 
we can sing them and become so familiar with them that we can sing them without thinking, right? They just come to mind. You know, we start a, we start a, a Christmas carol. We probably, in many cases, wouldn't even need the words up because we know these songs. We've sung them for so long that we know the words. They just roll off our tongue. Today, we're going to start a study that's going to last for the month. We're going to go through Christmas, in fact, including Christmas Eve, and we're going to talk about some of the major Christmas carols that we sing. We're not, of course, going to preach Christmas carols, but we're going to take themes from them so that hopefully, as you sing them now this year, you'll sing with a little more understanding. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 says we're to sing with our mind as well as with our spirit. And so my intention in sharing these messages over these next few weeks is that we'll understand some of the scriptural foundation of these songs that we sing. Today we're going to begin with Hark, the Herald Angels, which we just sang, and we'll sing it again to close the service and hopefully think a little more thoroughly about the words of this song. Hark, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. So I want to begin and ask you this question. Why did the king come? What was the purpose? Why did he need to be here? A little later in the song, it talks about uh, God reconciling man, right? That's the great focus of the incarnation for me. We need to be reconciled. Reconciliation is a very familiar and common idea to us. We take two entities, whatever they may be, and we bring them back together. We have uh, business partners who have been at odds, and they come back together, they reconcile. We take a, a husband and wife who have been at odds, and they get their their lives entwined together again, and they've been reconciled. You even reconcile your idea of what your bank account looks like with what the bank says your bank looks like, your account looks like. You reconcile the two and make sure that they're saying the same thing. That's reconciliation. Find 2 Corinthians chapter 5 because that's what we needed. That's why we needed this king to come because we needed to be reconciled. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Reconciliation is a beautiful picture of what happens when a person comes into a right relationship with God through Jesus with, with one distinction, in a reconciliation, as we understand them, two parties who are separated come together. When it comes to mankind being reconciled to God, God has no place to move. God is exactly where he needs to be, and he reconciles a person to himself. It's an incredible thing. Not two coming toward each other, but one bringing the other to him. And the description here that he gives of the way that he does not count our trespasses against us. Aren't, aren't you glad for that? We, we talk about a naughty and a nice list. Let's make no mistakes. 
all of our lists are naughty lists, right? Before a holy God, even our righteousness, according to Isaiah, is like a filthy rag. In the sight of a holy God, the whole list is a naughty list. But God reconciles us to himself. He does not count our trespasses against us. And then he entrusts us with the message. He lets us go to other people and give them the message that they too can be reconciled to God. Well, why do we need reconciled? We're just, we're just separated? What is the problem? We were and are separated from God by what? Our sin. Our sin separates us from God. God did not just somehow magically say, you know what? I just won't worry about that. It'll all be good. God did something specific about our sin. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, I read, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more we shall be saved from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son... Much more now that we're reconciled, we'll be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have been brought near to God by Christ. It was of no particular advantage to Jesus to come to earth to reconcile us to God, right? God exists in a trinity. There is relationship in, God, in the Godhead throughout all of eternity. He didn't need a relationship with man. He wanted a relationship with us. He offered a relationship with us. So he sent Jesus to be the one who would prove God's love. It's not hard to, some, to love somebody who loves you, right? It's not a, that's not a real proof of anything. Somebody lavishes love on you, it's not hard for you to say, man, that's really nice. I, I really like this person, and you may even grow to love them. That's not hard to imagine. God proves not that he loves us because there was something in us to love. God's love is proved by the fact that we were enemies. We were weak. We didn't have anything to offer to God. And so we rejoice in our reconciliation. Verse 11 says, we rejoice in that because it's a central feature of Christmas. When you picture that baby in the manger, when you, when you think about the hope offered to us, I want you to think this Christmas about reconciliation, the fact that you were separated from God by your sin, and he did everything necessary and brought you to himself. He reconciled you to himself if you've trusted in Christ. Secondly, who exactly was this king? Christ, the everlasting Lord, the hymn says. Man, there's so much in there. As I started thinking through these Christmas carols, I thought, I can't preach everything in each of these Christmas carols. It would take me all month to just pick one of them apart. So I'm, I'm taking snippets out of them, 
but the everlasting Lord. That's an incredible thing. Find your way to John chapter 1. One of the most incredible passages of Scripture, because what we're talking about here is the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is, in fact, God come in the flesh. Now, in a couple of weeks, we're going to focus more intently on the incarnation and what that was about, so I'm not going to spend as much time there. Uh, Nate is going to do that here in just a couple of weeks, but uh, he was God. Those, just those first few verses of John 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That's not talking about the beginning of time. It's simply stating that when there was a beginning, because it's, we can't wrap our minds around this, so don't, don't hope to leave here understanding this completely, but eternity, right? Eternity is eternity. There's no such thing as time. It's not like if you go back far enough, you'll get the beginning of eternity. Eternity means there is no end. There is no, uh, there's no, no beginning. There's no something back there when everything started. Everything started within the confines of eternity, and when that happened, Jesus was already there because he is God. That's even down to the grammar, that's what this verse is saying. When there was a beginning, Jesus was already there, and he corresponded completely with God. In his nature, he was God. We preached through Colossians some time ago, and in chapter 1 and verse 15 of Colossians, I read these words. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is God made visible. When Jesus walked on this earth during those uh, few decades after his birth, he was God walking around with human flesh, with human emotions, with, with human uh, weaknesses. He got hungry like we do. God, the God of the universe, took on humanity but he never stopped being God. When people looked at Jesus, they looked at God. He is above creation. That's what that phrase, the firstborn of all creation, refers to. It's priority. He is the creator. Only God creates. And he's the sustainer. All things are held together by him. Had we read on another verse... He, has, he is actively sustaining everything that there is. You're breathing today because Jesus is holding all things together. Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. He's deity. It's incredibly important that he be God. Because if he's not God, if he's purely human, he has the potential of sin at the very least, right? All humans are sinful, but he's God. 
but he's not just God. He's God with us, right? Emmanuel. That phrase is such a... The, the, the word Emmanuel means, of course, God with us. And as I said, we're going to focus a little more on the incarnation in a couple of weeks. But can I just let you think, help you think a little bit about the fact that God desired to be with us? I want to just read you a few verses. Genesis 1.26, I'm not going to quote the verse, but it's the creation of man. Let us make man in our image. From the creation on, God made us for relationship with him, not because he needed that, but because he wanted to make mankind who would then worship him and have a relationship with him. Matthew chapter 10, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. You are of great value to God. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. God's intention and desire is for me to be with him. So we know why the king came and who the king was. What would result from the coming of the king? Why couldn't God have just done this from heaven somehow? Isaiah chapter 9, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has the light shone. We were in darkness, and Jesus came to be light and life. Those two things are the next on your notes, but he came to be the light we still live in darkness. We, we, we talk about and complain about how bad things are. Things are this and things are that, and things seem to be getting worse and worse. We have always lived and walked in the darkness. Apart from Jesus Christ, it is simply dark. He came as the true light. I'm still in John chapter 1. Now I'm reading from verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness of the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus came as the light of the world. Every time you light a candle, every time you turn on the lights on your tree, every time you see the star lit at the top of a tree, I hope you remember this year, Jesus is the light of the world. Apart from Jesus, I walk in darkness. He is the life in him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 14, 6. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and 
the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John chapter 11 is the story of the death of Lazarus. I'm not going to go through the whole story, but I want to pick up toward the end of it. When Martha uh, came from the house and said, Oh, gee, Lord, if you had come, Lazarus would not have died. But even now I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. He said to her, Your brother will rise again. And Martha's response was, I know he'll rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Life is found in the name of Christ. John, at the end of his gospel, was talking about all the stuff he could have written. He's, he basically said, listen, I've just kind of summarized and given you some high points. I could write books and books and books. The world couldn't contain all that Jesus did. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So he came to be light and life. And one other thing he came to do, to give them second birth from that hymn, right? Born to give them second birth. He talked to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And Nicodemus said, man, this is so impressive. I know a lot. I see you, you must be someone who comes from God because nobody could do these things that you do. We know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. <laughs> that was a very startling statement to Nicodemus. He didn't understand the concept of new birth. And so Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and when you hear its sound, you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? It was very difficult. There are three things I want you to know about this second birth. They all would have connected with Nicodemus really well. The first is this. What Jesus was offering was new life, not a new religion. He wasn't saying, Nicodemus, you got it close. You've got, you've got Judaism. You've got the Old Testament. You're close, but I want to give you some new religion. He wasn't saying that. He said, Nicodemus, I'm, I'm coming so you can have life, a second birth, a new birth. We're given new life according to Ephesians chapter 2. We were dead 
but God made us alive together. We're not joining a new group or signing up for a new set of rules and regulations. We're being given new life. Secondly, we have a new relationship, not a new appreciation. Nicodemus appreciated Jesus. Many of the Pharisees recognized there was something unique about Jesus. He could do really cool stuff. He did miraculous stuff. They couldn't figure out how in the world is this guy doing all of this stuff. They had a great appreciation for Jesus. But Jesus didn't come so they could have a new appreciation of him. He came so that they could have a new relationship with God through him. The only thing that gets you rightly related to God is a new relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, he came, this second birth gives to us a new creation, not a new version. Jesus did not come to make you the best version of yourself. Jesus came to make you new. <laughs> I don't want to be a better version of me. Am I right? I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to just be the best version of me I can be. I mean, you know, all military connections aside, I don't want to just be all that I can be. I want to be all that God can make me to be through the power of Christ. I have new life. I have a second birth because of Jesus. It's not, it's not reformation. It's transformation. I'm changed completely. So as we sing in just a few moments this song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King, Peace on Earth, Mercy Mild, God and Sinners Reconciled. When we start singing about this, this king that came to bring second birth, when we start singing about light and life, to all that he has given. When we start singing those phrases, I want you to think about the depth and the power of what's in those words. It's incredible. So I've got those four thoughts to take home on your notes there. The first is the simple question, have you been reconciled to God? Secondly, do you have a relationship to God through Christ? Which, by the way, those are two ways of asking the same question, right? Thirdly, another way to ask the same question, have you experienced the new birth, the second birth? Here's how that happens. If you're here and you've never trusted in Christ as your only hope of salvation, Christmas can be very different for you this year. Because we have to come to the acknowledgement that we are sinners. You, you'll never be reconciled to God until you recognize you're separated from him by your sin to start with. I'm a sinner. I, am, I cannot be rightly related to God because there's sin in my life. I, I don't care how much sin you have in your life. That's not the point. The point is I'm a sinner and I'm separated from God. God and sinners reconciled. People who think they're okay, people who think they're right, People who think, I'll just take my chances, you will lose because you are a sinner. We are all sinners by, by nature and by our behavior. Jesus comes to give us a new birth. So we come to God and we acknowledge that we're a sinner and there's no way we can get to heaven on our own. And so we recognize, we accept the facts that Jesus, God, the Son, came to earth became a man, 
lived those years that he was here, lived a perfect life that we should have lived, died the death that we should have died, literally came back to life again and interacted with people in his body after he came back to life again, and then he went back to heaven. And he did all of those things so that if I will confess my sin to God, acknowledge that I'm a sinner, trust in Jesus as my only hope of salvation, receive Christ as my Savior, John 1.14, in that instant, I'm born again, I have my new birth, I am reconciled to God, and I become a new creation in Jesus. If that's never happened to you, oh, I would love to talk to you about that. Nate would be thrilled to talk to you about that. Mary Jo, who's uh, singing this morning, we would love to take a few minutes and, and share with you from the scriptures how you can know your sins are forgiven, you're reconciled to God, you've experienced the new birth. It's an incredible thing. And if all of those things are true of you, I hope that as you go through Christmas this year, you'll make sure to keep your attention purposefully focused on those truths. It's really incredible, right? Christmas is, Christmas is wonderful. There are lots of good things about Christmas. We're all decorated up, and it looks really pretty and all of that. But if we lose focus, if we lose track of the fact that this is about God coming to be human to make us his children, to make us his, uh, his own through a relationship with Jesus. If we lose track of that, we miss the whole point. It was about reconciliation. So we're going to sing that song again here in just a couple of minutes after I pray. And uh, man, I hope you can sing it heartily and sing it from your heart and rejoice as we sing together. But uh, it's, it's a really powerful thing. So, so we're going to do that here in just a minute and uh, get a chance to sing with our minds again and let that uh, transcend a little bit. Uh, but if you're here again this morning, man, I want you to know I would love to talk to you. Uh, come, come catch one of us afterwards. Let us sit down and show you from the scriptures how you can know your sins are forgiven and you're rightly related to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm really grateful for the reality that's behind these songs that we sing. I thank you that uh, we're, we're singing words and we're singing familiar words, but I, I'm also grateful that uh, there's some incredible truth behind it. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you were so, uh, so willing to reconcile us to yourself that you did the only thing that could ever make that happen, and that is send your own son here. Not just to be born as a baby, but certainly including that. To be born here on this planet, to walk among men, for three decades and then to die on the cross and pay the penalty for the sins of all who would put their faith in you. Father, it's just incredible. So we're grateful. And we, we uh, sing again today and throughout this month, Lord. We will sing with the desire to understand more deeply just exactly what you accomplished for us at Christmas and through Jesus. 